All right. So, hey, welcome back. We're again at Home Delivery World. It's just around noontime at lunch. Crowds hustling and bustling. We're here with our good friend, Bill Stenger, the VP of Sales Consultancy at Knapp. Bill, you were, you were on our show, God, and what was it? Like three years ago, maybe? Yeah. It was a dark and stormy it morning. It was early, early morning, in the morning. Like five or six in the morning. It was really early. Like you had a meeting in town. We won't say with who. I don't even think I know, actually. But... But yeah, like yeah. it was like really, really early. You came in the studio. I uh, I made it work. You I, did. I, I reduced my uh, so my beer uh, indu in, induction that uh, that that night. The night, night before. before. I think he's a bourbon guy. I am, but that night I knew I wasn't talking to you guys. Oh so God. Oh, he, kept, he, kept, he gave up. Kept he gave it up civilized. For us. That's so kind of you. Bro. But yeah, but I don't think, and you know, I've told Bill this before, but for those listening, the reason we asked Bill back today mm -hmm. is that podcast is one of our most listened to episodes of all time. Because Bill here is an expert, one of the experts on micro fulfillment. But he tells it to everyone he has on. Data doesn't lie. Data Bill. doesn't lie, Bill. Data doesn't lie. We always go with the data at OmniTalk. Ninety percent of the time. That's right. Ninety percent of the time, we a hundred percent of the time yeah. go with the data at OmniTalk. But no, so it was a great podcast, and so we wanted to have him back. And so, Bill, I think first of all, let's start off. Like, so, yeah, what's I mean, two three years? What's new for you in the micro fulfillment space? What's new for you at Canop? Uh, uh, so much, right? I mean, when we talked last time, Michael Fennel was just getting kicked off. It was just becoming like this new talk of how do you make e-grocery viable financially? Um, and then, uh, you know, we had this this pandemic mm -hmm. that no one you know saw coming. And uh, it, it, it shifted everyone from this topic on uh, convenience and, and availability to uh, uh, immediacy and to uh, safety. And so it literally threw a gasoline on the fire. So we were very fortunate to be, you know, globally set up to support the program. Uh, I think right now, geez, I think we're upwards of 30 to 40 sites live right now. We're, we're doing something like 50,000 lines a, a day based on the, the current system setup. 50,000. So, and what's a line? So every time in like, MFC parlance, someone retrieves a product. So okay. you always hear like in, uh, in, in, in our space, like commonality and thing in grocery, right? It's like, okay. you got a line then you have this commonality factor, which means like you're going to retrieve like a, I don't know, a, a tomato. Okay. But you can fill more than one order at a time with that, that, that tote that comes out of the system. Okay. So that commonality factor allows you to achieve a higher performance. But we talk in lines because that's the real performance of the system, right? Okay. retrievals. That you okay. can pull out of automation, so to speak. Got so, it. See, so, learn something so new every day. Significant, uh, let's say, program right now. Yeah, that's a lot of installations and a lot of lines. Yeah, if I hear it. you right, yeah, a lot of lines. So, Bill, what what is it about home delivery world? Like, what are you hoping to? People are talking about here. Yeah. Um, what are you hearing from some of the customers or or potential customers that you've spoken to at the show so far? Yeah, so I think for me, it's been more about understanding what's happening in the last mile. Um, hence home delivery world right? yes um, and understanding okay how that affects not only uh, you know let's say upstream of the distribution and fulfillment but also downstream to the mm -hmm. our doorsteps right so uh, for me it's getting a finger on the pulse because I don't think there's a, there's been a quote-unquote true answer to the last mile uh, there's gonna be a lot of people trying a lot of fast failing um, but a lot, of, a lot of new technology you know particularly thing that captures me here is the food safety topic okay we talked earlier about oh, right, right? You know, the, the, the ability to track, um, let's say, temperatures uh, mm -hmm. digitally. Uh, right now, you know, we're, we're relying on home delivery um, and third-party services that you don't really know how long your products have been in your trunk. Right. And, you know, we have very strict rules about how long something can remain out of a frozen or a chilled area 
well, do those rules necessarily get transposed to the delivery of in the funnel route? Right. The answer is, I think, no. Right. And so I see a lot of cool technology, a lot of things happening. There's there's some companies here that our partner takeoff is has been piloting some things with. So I'm uh, interested to see where the, let's say things go in the next year or so with this last mile topic. Nice. And I want to get into that a little bit, but before we do that, let's pull back a little bit, maybe go a 30,000 foot view into kind of this current state of supply chain from the chair top, which you sit, which is, you know, like we, like I said before, we talked to you three years ago, been a lot of change throughout the industry. How have you seen your customers respond to that change? Are they asking you to do new things? Are they, you know, kind of re-engaging on some discussions that were had before the pandemic staying pat? Like what, what's your current summary of the industry? I think, I think everyone is trying to scramble to figure out what the future supply chain looks like. Uh, they're looking for partners that can bring you know, value or competitive advantage to their, to their supply chains. Um, technology is advancing at such a rapid pace that every three to five years, it's, there's a fundamental shift happening somewhere. And I think right now, uh, the big shift for us is probably on software. Uh, the hardware, software. Is, hardware is important. You have the, the robotic picking, you have the vision-based control system, but without the software and the intelligence behind it from, let's say, the master data down to the maintenance management, uh, mm-hmm. all those things are critical to, to optimizing this, this supply chain. Why is that? Is it because the, the way the customer shopping is different now coming out of the pandemic too? Like, you know, there's curbside pickup, there's shipping from store, there's being able to handle all these different complexities. Is that a part of this or is it, does that, ex- does that need for software exist regardless? I think this, the, comple- the complexity lies in the current supply chain structure, right? The supply okay. chain structure set up for primarily brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. But fulfillment is not, it's, it's not, it's not new, but it's not, it's not been around forever. Not like the traditional distribution. Right. And I think that um, these supply chains are set up to, to treat us as customers a certain way and serve us. Uh, our demands and the way that we shop are, are, are evolving and changing uh, daily. And I think that the supply chains now need the intelligence to help them, one, either build out the current infrastructure, uh, expand upon it, or then, you know, go from the centralized to decentralized approach where we're, you know, converting retail stores into last mile fulfillment engines, right? So uh, all that requires different types of software to right. really bring it all together, right? Right. Well, and Bill, what are you what are you seeing retailers do with the information that they're gathering once they're putting in the software, once they're putting in automation, what, what's happening? What are they discovering that they didn't think that they might, um, or the, or what other problems are they solving that they didn't realize they could? I think, I think data on the map, if I, if I was to go ahead at a 10,000 foot like master data, what we've realized is that the information that we've been capturing traditionally yeah. is not really great for automation length, width and height and weight is it's not quite enough. Okay. Right. So we talk about our, our, like, you know, we, we calculate, I think up to 40 different attributes for how we handle certain products okay. to maximize things like pallet build and, you know, the, the overall cubic volume of, of, of storage and things. So it starts there. And you know, then you're going to get into the, the intelligent, you know, machine control stuff where you have to orchestrate all these complex components that make up a, a very complex system as a whole. Right. Uh, so a lot of moving parts of that orchestration is critical. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have the, the analytical piece, the business intelligence to look at what you're seeing from an operation from an automation perspective and then be able to in an easy to digest way communicate to the operation to improve the the way they run that site and so that that's been critical lately i think in in my conversations and and what we've been delivering of late and then it goes beyond to the labor optimization we all know that you know labor is pretty scarce these days i think last thing i saw was like 11 million open jobs Mm -hmm. right so uh, optimizing, doing less with more at this time until we can get the labor situation under control. So the labor optimization, planning, 
that orchestration as well. And then, you know, the, the maintenance topic, you know, maintenance is going to become an even bigger topic for automation because as we automate more, um, yeah. you have more complexity and you need to be able to apply predictive uh, modeling to maintenance tasks. Right. Bill, one thing, one thing I remember you said to me when we last did a podcast too, as long as you same lines was you talked about how, you know, as, 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 as cool and interesting and innovative as the MSC is, you don't see the landscape going in that direction fully as the answer. Like, do you, do you still believe that or, or, or explain, explain how you see the landscape playing out, particularly in grocery I, too? I think MFCs have a huge place in the supply chain ecosystem, but they are not the silver bullet for everything. Okay, why? I think, um, I think that the MFCs uh, have restrictions typically on a real estate level. Okay. You know, everyone wants to call everything an MFC. Like we talked earlier today, right. like it's micro fulfillment or a dark store or something. Like, like, but we, yeah. we've drawn a pretty clear line in the sand. What we, what we think is micro fulfillment. And we're saying, this is it. You know, I like to use the term decentralized fulfillment. Cause I mm. think that you can have, you can cover multiple areas there. It's, it's no secret that the larger facilities typically promote higher optimization, higher efficiency. It's just a scale thing. Mm -hmm. The MFCs serve immediacy. Um, there's a huge benefit to the retailers that have micro fulfillment because you get the productivity gains of automation, but you can't put everything in there. You have to be very selective on your inventory and how you uh, fill those systems. And that's part of the, the complexity that most will understand is that inventory strategy and MFC is a critical path mm -hmm. uh, for success, right? And why is that? Is it an inventory accuracy gain? I mean, like what, what, what are all the benefits that you get from well, I think at the end of the day, approach. it's if you look at a traditional manual pick versus an automated pick, you're looking like a productivity gain of seven to ten x, right? Mm -hmm. But in the case of you know, the micro fulfillment space, you have a uh, a finite amount of real estate, and so we have to be very mindful of what we're putting in automation to get the maximum, uh, let's say, pick rate, and that is okay. a a balance of okay, what's the order profile for this week or this month or this year look like, and how do we shift inventory and pull things out based on seasonality and promotions and uh, and, and move things around so that uh, you get the optimal performance. And that's, you know, it's not just the automation. Automation is, right. you know, it, it's the easy part, all things considered. Mm -hmm. It's really how you tie it all together. That's the complexity of the, the micro fulfillment space. But um, as we see our customer base, it's all about adoption rate. It's all about what are they trying to achieve in their overarching strategy. So we see this hub and spoke. We see this need for uh, uh, densely populated areas with a high adoption rate, maybe needs a larger facility that okay. a, a traditional MFC can't support. Okay. Um, Is that like a spoke facility technically versus a I think centralized spoke, facility? Spoke would be the, the MFC and the hub would be okay. uh, more of a centralized. Okay. So, and, and that centralized hub could be, yeah, it could be, I don't know, 2,500 lines uh, <laughs> a, uh, an hour or up to, you know, 10,000, whatever. Um, so it's, it's, it could be decentralized. The, the problem you have with centralized is traditionally that those large warehouses are only possible because you have real estate right. out in the middle of nowhere. Right. You know. So how are companies thinking about how to approach that? When to move to the hub model versus, or to the centralized fulfillment center model versus micro fulfillment center? Like we're seeing that happen with Walmart, with Kroger and Ocado. Yeah. Like, yeah. What are your thoughts on I that? I hope they're already thinking about it or they have a problem. <laughs> um, no, I think I think the, the strategy, as I tell our customers, it's your strategy really has to be um, top down. Uh, everyone has to converge and say, look, this is where the CEO wants to go, but everyone has to be bought into the strategy and how we're going to execute it. Because the biggest challenge I've found is, is the, uh, the organization not fully being bought in. And there are a lot of nuances and complexities on operational piece alone. Mm -hmm. And so it may be a, 
uh, the, the C-suite's vision. But if you don't have a, a, a common vision for where you're trying to go, um, you know, it's going to be very hard. So I think, I think it depends on every retailer, every, every company, what their strategy is. But I'm seeing there's a, there's a, there's a similarity uh, that's happening between multiple different retailers. And I think they're all thinking kind of the same way. Uh, I think what's, what's really interesting to see is how the big box retailers will, um, will do in the next coming years with, okay. you know, you look at um, the, the Walmarts, the targets of the world, you have all these storefronts available, even Kroger, right. With their, with their, mm -hmm. their grocery stores, you're talking about, you know, three, four, 5,000 uh, stores. How do you converge this hub and spoke fulfillment strategy with your brick and mortar? And I think the answer is you can have the efficiency of a centralized facility, like we're you know talking about with with Walmart earlier today with the next gen program, right. um, and you could use uh, the stores as your way to serve immediacy and last mile. Right. You know. Well, talk about that, Bill, because I wanted to ask you about that, and you just brought it up, so you kind of gave me the entry point to do so. And I know it's always hard to decide how much you can say about this. What I'm about to ask you, but you mentioned Walmart and their next generation fulfillment centers. What is that all about, and what is it specifically that you at Knopf are helping them to sure. do? Yeah, so uh, not. I will direct you to the Walmart official press release <laughs> for, the, uh, for, for the details. But effectively, what it is is, um, I think, as we talked earlier as well, the uh, the benefit of of the, the centralized fulfillment center is it's not about immediacy; it's about productivity gains. And uh, me as a consumer, I'm okay with receiving, let's say, retail items within a one to two day period. I don't need right. to have them immediately. And mm -hmm. if it comes early, great. I'm I'm happy. But I'm, my expectations are not. 30 minute delivery. Right. So I think that you have the benefit of the optimal performance gains in the case of the next gen program, they make it very clear in the press. It goes from 12 steps to five steps, mm -hmm. huge reduction in touches, uh, reducing, uh, let's say errors, reducing the cost to, to, to transport that good. I mean, overall, a, a beneficial customer experience. Uh, meanwhile, you know, you've got uh, the retail store that can still serve a, a great value to, to the end consumer. Right. Right. So. And I want to talk a little bit about the other side of this too. Now, one thing that's been a topic of conversation here is reverse logistics and what, how much returns are costing retailers, brands, you name it. Um, how are you thinking about, as you think ahead, like how that comes into play, how you can reduce touch points right. there as well? It's fine. So like, excuse me. When I, <laughs> uh, when I, when I moved into my new role, it was, it was funny. I've been, I've been ride or die grocery guy for the last like ride four years yeah right? yeah um and it's it's funny how many of the challenges and nuances and complexities that exist in grocery exist everywhere and unfortunately you know, for us we operate and we're, we're well known in retail pharmacy fashion um so i get a chance now to kind of see all these different challenges but the returns one particularly in fashion is, is very interesting right yeah uh i think what we have uh, we, we've constructed a, a very standardized solution for that. Um, so we're very prominent European retailers uh, are deploying some very specific technology, uh, particularly like in the pocket sortation where we can receive a good back. We have our QA process. We can check it. We can rapidly put it back into inventory and it knows based on, let's say, uh, the, the frequency that the item is moving whether well, I should retrieve it from like deep inventory mm -hmm. or I can pull it out of one of these pocket systems floating up in the air and send it directly to a pack station and then automatically put it into a box and then automatically have it wrapped up, labeled and out the door. Paint our picture, like mentally, because I've seen that work and it's a cool video. You get a chance to watch it. You should go look at it. Mm -hmm. Pockets, pocket sortation systems. But like yeah. paint a picture for the audience that maybe is not as familiar. Like what are you actually talking about there? Yeah. So, um, you know, 
hanging garments is what you see the dry cleaners right yeah. you're familiar with that. everyone sees their it coming around but technology has been around for forever you know, we we acquired a company uh, called dirk up some years ago and they're the leaders in the space and they really are the I'd say the inventor of this pocket technology and it's become a big buzzword the last three to five yeah. years yeah. Pocket, sure. pocket 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 everything pocket. um but in the fashion space it's 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 really beautiful because it's rfid it's 100 traceability you know what's in every pocket you have one article per bag, but what we do is when, when the returns come back in, uh, in bulk or from mail, the QA process, they check it, they, they validate if it's in good condition. And then once that's decided or they repackage it, it goes into inventory. And as I was saying, we have two different places. you got the shuttle system, yeah. like you see in an MFC, mm -hmm. yeah. but on a much larger scale, or you see these pockets up in the air that do very strict sequencing and you have hundred percent traceability. And so we retrieve the article based on the velocity and it sounds super simple. I'm making it simple. <laughs> it, does, right? it does sound super simple. It does sound simple. But, but there's got to be other angles to sustainability too that you guys are able to tackle. I know that's a big yeah. thing coming out of Europe, a huge thing out of shop like Europe. Yeah. We couldn't hear, I mean, we couldn't stop hearing about sustainability. It's probably the number yeah. one focus of most retailers out there. What else are you guys doing on that side? Of yeah, things? I think so like, you know, timing out automation, make sure energy is not being consumed. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the big sense. one for me is uh, on the food vertical is going to be food waste. Okay. Food waste. I think like, think about, and we think about what uh, automated fulfillment means to grocery, uh, reduce touches, uh, traceability on date codes and allowing for us to minimize the amount of food that goes to waste. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I eliminate touches, the risk of, being uh say broken spoiled right uh, theft unfortunately right. drop thing of um, on the you know and, and then knowing what what skews to pull out of automation based on date code tracking right you know we're reducing food waste significantly by automating it and that's one thing i think it doesn't often get talked about mm -hmm. right you know? well especially as those sustainability kpis are are becoming more uh, front and center yeah. for retailers. It used to be like a nice to have, but it's it's yeah. now large companies that we're seeing actually be measured on amount of food waste reduction and that and investing in the technologies. Think think about that like cost. That. Think about a, a yeah. collection of a Kroger, one hundred twenty yeah. billion dollar grocery retailer, and saving us a, a small percentage of food waste. What that goes to the bottom line and to yeah. the shareholders. Yeah. It's right. massive. It's pure profit. Pure profit. Um. All right. So let's get you out of here on this. We always like to end with a little prognostication. I think for you, this is going to be especially important because I know you guys have a lot of things in the hopper. You always do. You can, you can't talk about some of them, but so I'm going to ask the question a different way, which is five to 10 years out, what are we going to be looking at in terms of how the supply chain operates differently across U.S. retail here over that time horizon? Mm. What can we expect mm. to be different than today? I think that there will be a much closer linkage between manufacturing and the supply chain, getting oh. the goods to us. Okay. I think that I think the information's there. It's just yeah. you know, it's getting systems to talk. Everything's kind of siloed. I mean, people are starting. I think that will be a big topic. I think you're going to see knowledge uh, drop right there, my Amitok friends. Okay. I think you're going to see. Okay. Um, I think technology advancements. Uh, we do things fairly well today, but I think that we're going to change, optimize, and squeeze. Let's say to make it financially viable for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, I think. I would like to see um, software as a service, you know, giving empowering uh, our customers to maybe take on more responsibility mm. and be less reliant of us on a daily day basis. I, I think that it could, it's possible. Mm -hmm. I think we'll always have our place in the world, mm -hmm. but yeah. uh, I think that's one of the things that our, our customers struggle with, like the absolute reliance on a partner. That's why I think the integrators you know, have always been interesting saying, Hey, look, you're agnostic. You can do this. But the challenge I, I felt when you integrate a bunch of technologies that there's not you don't have one pure core competence right. to that 
that body of work, so to speak. So, you know, it's, it's that's a billion dollar question. I would be very wealthy if I could answer that. Yeah, you right, right, yeah. <laughs> but basically, my main takeaways I took from that is you, th- you, you think there'll be more in line of what we talked about, more uh, maturation, so to speak, of the kind of combination of the micro micro fulfillment utilization as well as the centralized fulfillment centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the other piece I picked up, which was new for me, was you think there's going to be more of an a more likelihood of the manufacturers figuring out how to go more direct through automation to their end consumer. I, I think it's more like the data that, that the information that's being produced on the manufacturing level gets back to the supply chain so we can much more effectively manage inventory levels. Okay. okay. Um, the types of, okay. you know, pack, like if we have packaging issues on okay. uh, in automation that we can immediately revert back and tell the manufacturer that your okay. packaging decisions are affecting the way our system's performing. Got it's it. costing me productivity. And I think, you know, the, the softwares I mentioned earlier, Software's I think- key. I think software is going to is going to empower operators to make decisions in an informed way and not be afraid to make the right decision. Right. Like this predictive modeling, the analytical piece of it is going to be everything in my opinion. Hmm. All right, Bill. Well, before we get you out of here, anybody you want to say hello to back home? Ooh, thanks for reminding me. You're welcome. Uh, this is for Presley and Liam. I told you I'd call you out and here I am in Philly and I'll see you tonight. Um, Bill, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you know I love LinkedIn. You do. You do so, love do. You're a big LinkedIn super Bill, fan, Bill, super user. Big Bill Stenger uh, there. You can find me or William.Stenger uh, at Canop.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bill. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening and joining us here today from Home Delivery World. We'll be back this afternoon with another interview. Be careful out there.